Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for safe travel to church, safe travel home. Thank you for being worthy. Pray that you give us eyes to see today, Father, ears to hear, hearts that are postured before you with fertile soil. Father, feet that want to run with obedience. I pray that we would, um, you would help us be transformed by the renewing of our minds this morning. Father, that your word would um, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, I've loved going through the book of Acts. Um, I was thinking to myself, I'm not doing summer soapbox next year. I just like going through Acts. So we're just going to go through Acts from now through summer soapbox next year. And uh, you guys are good with that? All right. I guess I get a pick. So... Um, you know, we talked about going through two chapters a week, um, but then I decided, you know what, I wanted to slow down just a little bit. So chapter 5, we're not going to remain in chapter 5 um, this week, but I did want to give you a little flyover. Did any of you guys read the rest of chapter 5 within the week? All right. So this week... I'm going to commission you to make sure that you read chapter 6, all of it, chapter 7, and chapter 8. So, figuring that you probably didn't go through the rest of chapter 5 last week, I wanted to give you a quick flyover because it's really fun. So, um, so, the apostles, where we left off last week, right, they started to um, heal people. And many people started to come to the, um, like people from outside of town and inside town, people started to come and gather in, in the city and surrounding areas. They were taking notice, right? So much so that sick people were being placed in areas hoping that Peter's shadow would heal them. So healing's taking place, miracles, deliverance. So what ends up happening is, West Liberty's hearing about it, and London's hearing about it, and Urbana's hearing about it, and they're like, we have to go see what's going on in Mechanicsburg because Mark Snyder's walking through Mechanicsburg, and the presence of God is on Mark so much that people are getting healed, delivered. Like, because last week we had the guy who was from birth, in his 40s, right, people knew that they knew that they knew that he was lame. He was healed. And this wonder came over the crowd. So they're like, we just, we just want people to walk past uh, Peter's shadow so that they could get healed. That's where we are right now in chapter 5. So um, all the sick and tormented people by spirits were healed in chapter 5. Everyone that came that was sick or tormented by spirits were healed. Crazy. Because of this, the high priest and the associates of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Well, well why does Peter, why, does, why, why is this all happening with Mark? I don't like that. Attention on me, right? Attention on me, attention on me, attention on me. So what do they do? Well, they just put him in jail. They said, Peter, you're going to jail. Apostles, you're, you're going to jail. We can't have what you're doing here anymore. 
But what ended up happening is an angel came that night and opened the doors and told them, told the apostles, go to the temple courts and tell them about the full message of new life. So I don't care what's happening to you. Continue to preach the gospel. Preach the full message of new life. People were amazed that Jesus, uh, or people were amazed that uh, the apostles were out of jail. The council had a discussion about what to do with them. And then a familiar statement that um, you guys are probably aware of. For if their purpose or activity is, is of human origin, it will fall. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only be fighting against God. So the advice with the apostles was like, there's many people who've come through here and gun ma- done manly, like just things of human origin, and they've all just fizzled out. But if this is of God, then, then you're messing with God. So if of man, let it just burn up. But if it's of God, you're messing with the wrong person. So what did they do? They liked that advice. So they beat the apostles up, beat and flogged them, and then they released them. Now this is what's amazing at the end of chapter 5. Is um, I've never, since I've been here at the church, no one has ever come on a Sunday morning with bruises on their face or um, a broken back because they were beaten or abused for the sake of the gospel. I haven't seen it yet, and it might not ever happen. But this is what's amazing. Because here's the thing. Many of us won't post on our social media how much we love Jesus. Many of us, when we're at a football game, won't even talk about Jesus as our king. That's the extent by which we'll stand up for Jesus, right? I'm not pointing a finger. I, uh, to a certain degree, can relate. But the apostles, they get beat up. They'd be okay with it, and then they keep on going. So here's what they say in verse 41 of chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that the faith that you want? I want that boldness. I want that faith. I want that relationship with Jesus Christ in such a way that even if I were beat up, I would still preach the good news. And not only preach the good news, I would rejoice about it. How many of you guys rejoice when people make fun of you for being a Christian? I don't see a lot. You think about it and you're like, that kind of hurt. They rejoiced in it. Nutty people, I'll tell you what. Um, Simply making me question, do we... um, Do we biblically rejoice over the appropriate things? Or do we rejoice over things that really don't matter? I rejoice that the Buckeyes won 40-something to nothing yesterday. I rejoice that Michigan almost got beat. I rejoice that, um, you know, whatever. 
Mechanicsburg one. Are we rejoicing over biblically sound things? Which, um, I don't know. I'm astonished by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in these men's life. They were resilient. You should have read the end of chapter 5 last week, right? Read, read it, right? So chapter 6, here we go. Um, Are you guys ready? Um, We have a pretty messy church going on. How many of you guys, just in all honesty, since being involved in church, maybe not specifically this church, but just church in general, or very specifically this church, whatever, how many of you have ever felt like church is a messy place? Just raise your hand. It is. It's like messy, messy, messy. And there's this idea within our mind, maybe because we haven't read about the biblical church and what actually took place during the time of writing the Bible, but the church was messy. What I want to think is God calls Christians to a very high standard, and he actually says, I require everything, but just because I know that he requires us to a higher standard doesn't mean we're always going to live into it. And that's uh, what sometimes gets us messed up. But thus far, or this far into Acts, we've seen a lot of mess within the church that God is creating. So one of Jesus' 12 disciples committed suicide. God takes out Ananias and Sapphira. That's enough. One of these men who was following Jesus very closely is now hanging headlong on a tree. That's messy. Then Ananias and Sapphira don't bring everything, right? God takes them, kills them, dead on scene. You guys remember the Oompa Loompas last week? Paul and Barnabas here very soon are getting ready to get into a big argument that even uh, brings more frustration right within the church. We've seen the church grow. We've seen persecution take place. We've seen it become illegal to preach the gospel. We've seen corruption. We've seen hypocrisy. And all these things to me seem like it could destroy a church. One of the uniquenesses of being a church leader is you try to balance the drama and you try to balance the stories and murmuring and then the things that you can't control and the things that just don't make sense. You try to always do the balancing. And what I'm learning pretty quickly is this is God's church more than it's my church, right? It's God's church more than it is the elder's church. Jesus is the head. And uh, we just need to keep on pursuing what the Bible says. So, um, all these things, persecutions, hypocrisy, corruption, can destroy churches. But God kept on adding to the kingdom. But God kept on adding. And the church continued to grow. So what we're going to see now is maybe a different aspect of the church being a messy place. We're going to see some complaining, some quarreling, um, 
we're going to see people who play the fairness game. As a sibling, I always played that. We would, we would have like 14 boxes of cereal in the house. And like two of them are three weeks expired. But um, someone else said that they were saving their bowl. So the fairness game that you would play is, I call this box, and I call this box, and I call this box. And on the table, I made my little um, just petition. Like, leave me alone. But then it wasn't fair. So then someone else needed the whatever. I, I haven't had cereal in such a long time. Like, Captain Crunch. Someone else needed the Captain Crunch box. And since I had it for five minutes, they needed it for five minutes, right? Or you're watching TV and I get to pick a show, then you get to pick a show. It was always about fairness. Things are not fair in this life. And you better learn that pretty quickly. Because if I keep on expecting things to be fair, I'm going to keep on living um, frustrated and mad at people all the time. Nevertheless, we're getting ready to see the church play that. But, but, but this isn't fair. And what I want to say about Christians is, um, when that happens in the church, that significantly waters down the message of Jesus through you. When quarreling, when complaining, when playing the fairness game happens within the church, it's like people don't take you serious if you gossip out of one side of your mouth and then act wholly out the other. The church needs to be delivered from that. And this far into Acts, we have seen God deliver the church from many things. But God is going to call the church to do some organizing and planning. And um, here's, here's a nugget, just a sidebar something that can go with it. You kind of have to force it. But I I hear this a lot. There are many people um, who come from the perspective of anything planned or organized is not from the Holy Spirit. We have a generation who's like, I just want to be Holy Spirit-led and blow with the wind, which is good. But also planning things can be Holy Spirit-led as well. Being organized is... um, Holy Spirit-led as well. So how many days did the creation take? Six. So there was some kind of organization by which God decided to step out and uh, create the world. Organization took place. Nevertheless, um, there's nothing more untruthful than God not being in the planned moments. So as I sit and I read Scripture and I do sermons, do sermons throughout the week, I really hope that the Holy Spirit, that God's in there with me, right? Like, fine, next week I'm not going to plan a sermon. I'm going to come in here and I'm just going to be Holy Spirit-led. How do you guys feel about that? You know what? I might get by one week. And then the next week, and then you're going to say, I think Joey's getting worse at preaching. Instead of him improving, he's getting worse. The Holy Spirit, God can be with you as you plan things out. My point in talking about the Holy Spirit, um, not always needing to be spontaneous, is that um, God is getting ready to bring organization to the church here in Acts and to make sure that people are in the right place for the right thing. So if you have your Bibles, 
Acts chapter 6. If you have your smartphones, um, you can turn there as well. Here we go. Verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Fairness game. But they're getting more food than... (laughs) Their women are getting more food than my women, and you don't mess with my women. (laughs) You ain't going to do that, Chad. So, let's look at the... um, Just real quick, nothing too in-depth... So you have two different groups of Jews here. So in short, here are the differences. Those who remained near uh, Judea used Hebrew language called Hebraic. Others scattered among the Gentiles spoke Greek, used the translation, the uh, Old Testament translation um, of Greek. So the Septuagint, they were called Hellenistic. So we already know that the church is growing. And usually the bigger things get organizationally, the more problems you have, right? If you have one kid in the house, you know how to deal with that one kid and their quirks. But then when you get two kids or three kids, the bigger the family or the organization gets, the more problems you get. Well, not only within one family, but then when you start to have your family of three kids, and then you start to adopt other kids from a different family and bring them into your home, things start to become a little bit more a mess, right? God is now expanding the church, and you have people from different communities and different backgrounds coming together as w- into one church, which now there's going to be drama, and fairness game, and and these Jews think that they're better than these Jews, and those Jews feel mistreated and undervalued and overlooked, and now there's this problem because they're trying to bring everyone together as one, right? So, um, on a very basic level, um, things get more challenging the bigger they get, because um, you have more opinions and require more resources. If, if every seat in here was full, we'd have another 150 opinions, wouldn't we? We would require more resources. The fans might need to be bigger. The fan, look, if you want to keep on complaining about how cold it gets in here, then you find a neighbor to sit next to. You say, hey, neighbor, I need you to come to church because these fans are graded for a full church. Is he telling me to invite someone? I am. Invite someone. Either way, Macy's like, well, boy, you just come down here and sit next to me then. So you need more uh, resources on a very basic level. On a more complicated level, you begin, uh, people begin to get frustrated with feeling like they are no longer cared about. The larger the things get, people begin to assume that there is no way for the church to be personal. Sometimes the church does a bad job of being personal. Other times people just assume to take things personal. 
So what's the remedy? There's people in church who feel like right now, not this church, but in the church that God's establishing, there's people there who feel like they're not getting fair treatment. My women are not getting the food. They're being overlooked, and we need to do something about it. So what's the remedy? In this story, they want the apostles to fix the problem. Kind of like, hey, you're the leader. You fix the problem. Can you imagine some of the complaints that could have come through that they expected the apostles to fix? Peter, I just don't like the carpet color in the upper room. It's this orange from like 20 AD. Like This stuff is like totally... I'm going to prophesy about this lady. Her name is Joanna Gaines. She knows what to do. Carpet color they were complaining about. Or what about this? He sat in my seat yesterday. Mark, don't you sit there. That's my seat. Fix that. Or no one greeted me at the temple gate yesterday when I was walking through to service. Or can they ever get a different flavor of coffee than the Hebrew blend? I mean, come on. What about this one? Peter, I want to be a leader in the church. Peter, I want to preach. Peter, God's given me a message. See, the bigger the church gets, the more opinions and frustrations and people wanting to to be in position. And they're coming to the apostles and they're saying, fix all of my problems. Things are not like they used to be, Peter. Betty had to catch up on a Gray's Anatomy last night. She couldn't be at service, but she didn't get healed when God healed everyone last night. Peter, can you come over to my house? Complaints. Preferences. There could have been a number of complaints, but the complaint we are looking at is the complaint or murmuring going on between Hebrews and Hellenists. Because their widows were neglected for the daily distribution. The word complain here in Greek. um, Some of you guys may be familiar with it. Is um, I believe I'm saying it right. I've heard it said differently. But um, gagusmos. Gagusmos. Is a murmur, a murmuring. A muttering. So when we're reading complain right here in chapter 1, it then goes back to the original word, gagusmas, which is a murmuring, muttering, a secret debate, a secret displeasure, not openly avowed. So what happens is you have a group of people within the church, God's church, who are now frustrated and they're secretly debating and murmuring and talking about things that they think should be done different. I wish the carpet color would be different. Or I wish he would do this and I wish he he would do that. And, And 
Peter didn't come over to my house. There's, there's chatter going on. They were complaining to each other because they felt like it was unfair. And you know what murmuring does? Murmuring creates division. Our staff's going through a training right now, and we learned last week that um, division, die to vision, visions. Two visions. Division is two visions. Naturally, complaining would happen because you have um, two distinct backgrounds trying to merge together as one. Whenever you have different people in one group, you're going to have problems. And they had problems. A perceived lack of concern and an expectation that the apostles need to fix that problem. But let's just say that, um, that there was a problem. And the Hebraic widows um, were getting preferential treatment. And the Hellenistic, um, Hellenists sorry, were being shortchanged. Okay, something better than you. Let's say that that was the problem. Someone else in the church got something better. If that was a problem, the problem was made, made much worse by complaining about it, wasn't it? Our worship style. Maybe you don't love our worship style. But is our, our worship unbiblical? Mm-mm. Do you agree with every song or some song? About us, yes. Um, we're not that right now, but other songs are about God. Maybe we can have that debate, but if, if what happens is, is loving it, and then this section over here quarreling about it, division takes place in the church. So, um, about stuff makes everything worse. We often find out uh, our frustration and complaining because we feel like we get the short end of the stick so we start murmuring about it we murmur to others and that's what's going and here we find out a few things that God hates than than we even know but uh, Proverbs 6 you can turn there real quick I should have it on the screen God talks about a few things that he hates. Six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to him. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. In a community. When we complain... I believe that's conflict in a community. And it's not good in church today. I think we need to understand that, that in Acts chapter um, 6, this was going on and it was not good for the church. Therefore, we need to learn from it. I would be crazy not to learn from Acts chapter 6 about the way that I treat others. The way uh, about the things that come out of my mouth, right? Because... Yeah, nevertheless. Um, So, in one verse, 
the description could be clear. Remember at the beginning of the series, we said there's going to be some description, some things that we just learned about Acts, and then there's going to be a prescription or prescription that then in our lives that we should act out. So um, if there was a description here in one verse, what's the description that we should learn? In short, the larger and more diverse the church community became, drama started to infiltrate as people felt mistreated. A cry for what was perceived as fair rose up. That's what I see going on. That's the description of what's happening in one verse right now in Acts chapter 6. But the prescription here, for me, what, what I'm learning is complaining, murmuring, and gossip is something God hates because it stirs up a community. So we need to stop stirring up our communities as a prescription. I personally need to stop complaining about my family to my other family. Right? I need to quit that. What about complaints about our church family? What about complaints about leaders? Murmurs about bosses. Complaints about our preferences. God hates it. He doesn't like when we create division amongst one another. I believe that this is Scripture's words, not mine. I know that I've added some of me in here today. Um... But I, but I hope that I stand behind Scripture when something comes across as bold as God hates it. God just talked about, um, in Proverbs 6, things that he hates, right? Those aren't my words. So what's the remedy, right? In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, they begin to pursue a remedy for all the bickering and complaining and what's happening within the community. So verse 2, the twelve gathered all the, all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Could you imagine, like, just put me there right now. Like, I'm just like, you know what? I can't set up tables and I can't, uh, I can't go out to the streets today because I just have to study the Word of God. You know what, Dave? I can't answer a phone call to you or I can't go to coffee because I'm just studying the Word of God. And you know what, Mark? I can never hang out with you. I can never have any other meeting. All I need to do is just study the Word of God. Many people would probably be a little offended by that, wouldn't they? Like, what do you mean my pastor can't do that? Well, first off, you said my. Like, my pastor. Well, you don't own me. And you don't own Macy. But, but within the American church, those are within the job descriptions of the leader, isn't it? To help meet the needs, to pray for, to go to the hospitals, to listen to, to love on, to hear, to help organize. But you can kind of feel how it would have been offensive to hear apostles say this, like, if you just would have heard, like, heard it, not known their heart. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. But this wasn't the apostles saying they were above serving. What they were saying is, we know our calling, 
And all of this stuff is keeping us from doing what's important in our lives based upon what God said. This scripture um, made me think about how relevant it is to the American church. So I complain because I don't feel welcome in the American church, right? I complain because, because the Bible doesn't agree with my lifestyle. I scream from a mountaintop that biblical truth is mean. Not me, but people, right? So I take my complaints and I go to the American church and I say, Why are you so exclusive? Why won't you just become inclusive? All are welcome. All can come in here and do whatever they want. Accept me as I am. And then they point the finger at the American church and they say, you are bigots. And I need you to fix my problem. And few leaders today are willing to stand up and say that I'm sticking to the word. What most leaders seem to be doing is entertaining the complaints rather than sticking to the teaching of the word of God. And what I want to say today is, where would the church be today if the apostles didn't make this statement? Where would the church be, the church of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior, the one way to heaven? Where would truth be if the apostles weren't willing to make a hard statement and say, look, I need to stick to studying the Word and teaching the Word? Because if not, what ends up happening is it's like, well... Well, Mark needs more food, so, so Mark, let me figure out how, how you need more food. So then I'm going to help him with food. And, and Dave's frustrated because someone's been sitting in a seat. So, the, so then I start ministering to that. And then it's just not that. Now because I've been ministering to all their needs, right? What about when, when they start to cross over to sins? What about when Mark's like, I might, um, I think it's okay, I think it's okay to drink underage. I don't think that that's a sin. If the apostles were unwilling to know what was truthful and to do what was right, then they could have been swayed into having a church that's just teaching something to people's tickling ears. And they said, we're not going to follow the complaints right now, we're going to follow what God says in our life. Here in the scriptures, the apostles say they cannot neglect the ministry of the word, but they don't overlook the need of the people. So it's not that, that the apostles are going to say, hey, just go fix yourself. I don't care for you. But what they did do, we're going to find out in verse 3. So here you go. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So what's the remedy? Not that we don't care about these needs. We understand that some of these needs are true. Um, frustrations, frustrations need to be worked out. So how do we fix it? Well, we're going to elect some men to oversee it. We're going to organize the church. Let's organize some people 
to help with sweeping the floors and passing out food and cleaning the um, whatever and hiring a youth leader and hiring an um, administrator. They then elected seven people among them who knew the culture, who, who they were familiar with, who put in the time. They were from within, right? They didn't go hire a special person from Chicago who um, knew about planting churches. They were people that put in time. And I do want to say this. I talk to a lot of people who want to have a church position who want to be in leadership. And I would say the quickest way to church leadership is honest, honestly, with a pure heart, serve the current church that you're in with no agenda. If you want to be elevated, that's what you do. They weren't out seeking. The early church hired from within. Nevertheless, they hired from within seven people to help organize, to oversee so that the apostles could focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. There are so many other tasks, tasks within the church that can dominate one. But God has placed people in position to teach and others to help distribute food. So as we wrap up so that we can get into um, eating food and um, helping serve some tables today, some food. So is there an application today? Sure. Um, simply be careful about what comes out of your mouth. Scripture says this, out of your mouth overflows your heart. So when you're hammering away and you hit your thumb, what comes out of your mouth? When you're talking to your spouse, when you're talking to your spouse and you get really frustrated, what comes out of your mouth? When you talk about your friends, your family members, your preferences, what comes out of your mouth? If you want to know where your heart is, listen to your mouth. Out of your mouth. It's scripture. So you can't just throw away stuff. Out of your mouth overflows your heart. And what I'm learning about myself in peace, what I shared about last week, is there's been seasons in my life where I've just been too critical. And you know what my indicator was? Not my heart, because my heart is deceptive. My heart convinced me that I was right. My heart convinced me that everything that I knew was on track, that I was going to be the one to lead change. My heart lied to me. So what was my indicator? Not my heart, but my mouth. And then my ears heard what was coming out of my mouth, and what was coming out of my mouth wasn't aligning with the word. So if you want to know where your heart is, listen to your mouth. Nevertheless, our application is today. Simply be careful with what comes out of your mouth. And more than anything today, we should be seeing a church that was discovering itself and the more drama that came, God often seemed to provide another remedy. God always seems to be providing other remedies throughout Scripture when, um, when things seemingly um, look grim.
So we're seeing the church grow, right? We're seeing the expansion of um, a church that's getting ready. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. So we see God establishing leaders. We see him setting parameters and now putting other people in charge so that we can still focus on the word. Amen? So please read um, the rest of chapter 6 this week. Stephen's one of those who are elect, elected. Stephen ends up going to jail, preaching, the, preaching with boldness. And then we get in chapter 7, 8. So read those this week. And then um, let's learn from the church in Acts. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for apostles and leaders. Thank you for you. But thank you that you were so full within them, Father, that they fell in love with you so much that they were willing to stick to your word. I pray for a great boldness that your spirit would overwhelm us and indwell in us so much that we're willing to stand for what's truthful is right. Help us be mindful of the things that come out of our mouth this week, Father. And when we recognize that the things that are coming out are not what they should be, help us to say, God, I need your help. Father, we need your help. Day after day after day. I pray that you would bless the food. Um, that we're about to eat. Thank you for those, Father, providing those to help uh, wait tables today. In Jesus' name, amen.